all of these broken pieces that I'd been uh, holding on to, that it wasn't my responsibility to put those all back together again. Um, that's what God does best. Good morning, good evening, whenever you are listening to this. This is Jason Dennis, TV news anchor and your podcast host for the next hour uh, as we talk about fitness and faith on a, a weekly basis here on the Run the Race. This is episode number 72. I uh, hope you are doing well. I'm going to give you a little preview, a little taste of uh, one of our new segments that will be uh, towards the end of this episode called Stuck in My Head. So let me, let me give you a little clue and see if you can figure it out. Uh, it is the kind of the start of a song, uh, not not the, the part where they sing, but kind of a, uh, a monologue, you might say. I look up to the mountains. Does my strength come from the mountains? No, my strength comes from God, who made heaven and earth and the mountains. So that is a song that's kind of been stuck in my head for the last few days and I wanted to share with you. In fact, I'll I'll sing a little bit of it for you uh, after uh, my uh, chat with our guest for this podcast. It's a friend of mine who has been a licensed professional counselor for more than a decade now, John Ebert. Uh, We talk about uh, dealing with uh, personal tragedies and national tragedies we're seeing all over the news these days, and especially, you know, with the COVID pandemic uh, for the last year and a half. We talk about, you know, why do you go to counseling and when do you go to counseling? Uh, We talk about faith in God and how church can help uh, kids and adults deal with mental health. Uh, where our discussion goes into anxiety and depression and marriages. And just a few weeks from now, uh, John and his wife will celebrate 21 years of marriage. And just coincidentally, uh, today, when this episode comes out, uh, this is my wife and my 21st wedding anniversary. So uh, 21 years of her putting up with me uh, in marriage. And uh, she is an amazing woman. I couldn't do uh, life without her. I promise you that. Uh, she is uh, just uh, you know the light of my life, the love of my life, and uh, has pushed me uh, closer and closer to God uh, throughout uh, these last two plus decades. So uh, so appreciative uh, to her and uh, just uh, her faith and her strength as a mom and a wife. So just wanted to honor her uh, during this uh, podcast episode as well. And also, you know, uh, John opens up about his, uh, you know, bout with alcoholism years ago. In fact, he told me kind of off mic a story about how, you know, he had been drinking and driving and, you know, was scared to death of having a DUI. So actually driving back home, he counted the cars that were passing by him, I think in the dark, and it was like 57, 58 cars. And that 59th car, as he's rounding the corner, rounding a turn to go back home, was his uh, his wife and kids in the car uh, passing by him. So he thought about that fact that that anytime if if he would have hit just even one of those cars, his life would have changed forever. Um, but uh, so we talk about you know his his bout with addiction with alcoholism. He's open about that, and hopefully you can relate to that and and uh, learn from that as well. Uh, but uh, for this uh, this podcast, and you know, we're talking. This is kind of like you know a, a free counseling session for you. You know, uh, for me, you know, running is part of my therapy, and and uh, you know, I think we can all use counseling in some way. But there's some stigma about it with mental health, and so so this is you know a free counseling session for you. Sit down, sit back for an hour, and uh, listen to uh, us talk about some issues that maybe you're dealing with today as well. And I wanted to introduce you to uh, to John. He has his BA in psychology from Southeastern University in 19. 
1997, an MA in psychology and counseling from Regent University in 2000, has been a licensed professional counselor since 2009, and he works with kids of all ages and across multiple settings and couples and, and individuals uh, for his professional career. Yeah, he practices in both Virginia and Georgia, uh, now set in Columbus, Georgia, where he started a private practice just recently called Single Stone Counseling and Consulting Services, LLC. And uh, we talk about how he came up with that name, Single Stone. I'll give you a clue. It has to do with David and Goliath. Uh, Again, he works with families with both in-person and teletherapy. He says helping people heal personally and relationally has has been a passion of his for for many years. He has experience with those struggling with addiction, depression, anxiety, and a lot of other relational issues. And he wants people to know that, you know, it's important when you take that step of going to counseling and, and admitting you need help, you're breaking that stigma and you're taking one of the biggest steps ever. So uh, I enjoyed our conversation, and I hope you do too. Well, I would like to welcome uh, John Ebert to the podcast, licensed uh, professional counselor for uh, um, you know uh, several decades. So thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. It's great to be here, Jason. Great yeah, to be here. we're friends. We, we go to church together and uh, both uh, um, husbands and, and fathers. So we go through similar things, having teenagers at home. So uh, we're going to talk about a lot of different things today. Uh, but first, I wanted to touch on the fact that, you know, we're coming out of this kind of COVID-19 pandemic and, you know, a lot of people dealing with, you know, personal tragedy losing loved ones and they also dealing with seeing like the, on the news these national tragedies uh, you know mass shootings and that most recently this this condo collapse happening in Florida where they're searching through the rubble so well, I mean first of all before we get into kind of your story and you know what advice do you have for folks as they're watching the news and seeing these things and they're going through this heartache maybe personally as well you know what do you do uh, that's a big, big question, Jason. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, laying, I'm laying it out yeah, to you. We're, we're not easing into this <laughs> podcast, are we? Um, there, there, are, there are a lot of really heavy things uh, that are going on right now. I mean, without question, you mentioned uh, you know, the pandemic and how it's been 18 months of uncertainty. Um, I, I know that I've firsthand seen the impact that it's having on schools and that's kind of been my background but um, it hasn't um, no one has been uh, immune to the effects of it and it certainly uh, caused us to stop and and pause I know for me personally um, it's been trying to kind of gain this sense of normalcy again to gain a reset um when when you have multiple things that are happening at one time our our brain tries to process it all at once and so i guess if there were one thing that i would want to say to people it's when things speed up try everything that you can to slow down Hmm. right just slow down you can't address multiple problems all at the same time and certainly with things like uh, the tragedy in miami uh, the loss of a loved one during the pandemic, uh, certain other tragedies. Uh, our brains have a way of um, trying to speed things up for us, and our emotions have a way of trying to take us and put us on autopilot. And that's where we can really start to compound you know, some of the things that we're dealing with and actually making them worse. So I would say probably slow down. Uh, and allow your emotions to drain before you start looking at, okay, what is my first step towards 
healing, whatever that would be for you. Yeah, and, and I think you and I have talked before about how it's that analogy on an, on an airport. You know, when you, you the oxygen masks come down, you mm-hmm. need to kind of put your own on before taking care of other people and taking care of your children, which is maybe against what you would think. But, you know, it's important to kind of focus on, like, hey, am I okay to be able to kind of move forward, right? Absolutely. I mean, you know, there are, there are so many things that we want to do when – our world seems to be imploding around us. And there are so many people that we may instinctively want to reach out and help, but uh, we always have to first uh, take an inventory of how we're doing and what it is that we're experiencing and what it is that we need, because your analogy there is spot on. Um, On an airplane, we're instructed to put our oxygen masks on first because we aren't good for anyone. Uh, we can't do anything for anybody if we aren't getting the things that we need. Yeah. And so absolutely self-care is important, especially during these times of high stress and anxiety like we're seeing now. Absolutely. And, and faith and faith in God. I know for, for you and I, that's very important. And hopefully, you know, for a lot of people listening to this podcast as well. And uh, your, um, you know, uh, new uh, venture, uh, Single Stone Counseling and Consulting Services, LLC, uh, based here in, in Columbus, Georgia. Um, you know, the name Single Stone is, is kind of has a, a faith um, a root to it, right? Tell me about it, that. It does, yes. Um, I know that you know, speaking of the pandemic from earlier, um, I was born and raised in Columbus, but was gone for 25 years. And so I found uh, my family and I uh, found ourselves in this position where we moved back to be a part of a, a startup company that ultimately uh, disbanded as a result of COVID. So mm-hmm. It was a blessing that I was back here in Columbus around family uh, and in a familiar environment. But at the same time, uh, I was in a place that was extremely familiar, but I had zero professional contact. So, I mean, it it could be the script for a Twilight Zone episode. It felt really surreal. And so I had a background in counseling. It's something that um, I love to do. I feel like Uh, God has uh, just blessed me with uh, the desire and the patience and uh, I would say his wisdom to just have a heart for people and step in. And so I was in this place where I said, all right, um, maybe I've put off doing this for a little while, but it's time to step into this venture. And, And so my wife and I prayed about it, and we made the decision and kind of hung our shingle. And uh, I am a solo practitioner. We came up with the name Single Stone Counseling because the story of David in the Bible inspires me. Uh, when you go back and look at the context of that story, you had all of these men that were trained to go out and fight and protect and, and stand up for what is right And they were being mocked, and they were being intimidated. And all it took was a young shepherd boy uh, with a faith and a willingness to grab a single stone and sling it at the giant. And it changed everything. You look at uh, the history that happened from that point forward and how God used that courageous act. And, And so when I think about Each of our individual situations, I think that sometimes no matter how big the giant, no matter how big the obstacle it is that we face, uh, all it takes is a single stone 
to change your life. And so I felt like that was uh, a very appropriate name and a very appropriate concept for yeah. a practice. And I've, I've heard in a sermon before that uh, the, the, I think the, the preacher said Goliath was not born that big. That's right. And so, you, I mean, things grow and things can get out of control, but, you know, sometimes we, we picture it as worse than it maybe actually is going to be, you know, in life. Absolutely. I mean, pers- perspective is reality, and uh, we all can have um, a, a larger um, well, I, I shouldn't say a larger perspective, but our perspective can can oftentimes be emotionally driven, and that can impact how we see, identify, even define the problems that we're dealing with. And and so, uh, based on the history books, Goliath wasn't a small man; he was a big man. <laughs> yeah. But I think that um, a lot of the people made him into a bigger problem than he actually was because they were looking at how do we overcome him through our own strength. And, and that's, the, that's really the, the beauty uh, about uh, not just counseling, but also the importance of breaking the stigma of mental health mm-hmm. is that we aren't alone. Right. While David may have felt that uh, he didn't have the support of the soldiers in Saul's army, the fact of the matter is David went out there and he wasn't alone. Mm-hmm. You know, God was right there with him. And when it comes to breaking the stigma of mental health, people need to understand they're not alone. The giants that they face um, are giants that more than likely their neighbor is facing their friend is facing, maybe a loved one has faced in the past. And no matter what it is that they're dealing with, they don't have to go through it alone. And that's an important message. Yeah. And and as we kind of come up on the 4th of July, this kind of the theme here is like independence or freedom Mm -hmm. from mental health struggles. Uh, So we're going to talk about, you know, anxiety and depression, talk about, you know, why or when do you go to counseling, faith in God and marriages and students' mental health. That's uh, something that you're Mm -hmm. as near and dear to your heart. We're going to talk about all that. But also I want to kind of rewind and go back in time a little bit with uh, with John Ebert uh, back to, um, you know, you and I have talked about how you – um, you know, dealt with alcoholism mm-hmm. and um, have overcome that. And uh, I'm, I'm sure something that you still are aware of and that you still, you know, you can, it's a story that you can relate to other people and they can say, oh, well, he struggled with it. So do I, have I. So tell me about, you know, your story with that and, and how that all played out. Sure. Well, um, you know, I'll, when, when people ask me about, um, you know, my history or anytime I talk about alcoholism, it's a part of my testimony. I'm very open with that. But I'll say that rather than looking at overcoming alcoholism, I I look at it as it's I wake up every day and it's a one day at a time thing. I I feel like that uh, God has uh, has honored the any commitment or effort that I've shown, but it's certainly one day at a time. And by the grace of God, I've been sober for a number of years now. Um, but yeah, my I know that my history is is probably not the typical one. I had um, you know a great family, born and raised here in Columbus. Uh, I didn't want for anything at all. Um, felt like I was plugged in with a good friend group, but 
Grew up in church? I did. I grew up in church. Um, I was up Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Tuesday choir, Wednesday youth, (laughs) Sunday afternoon um, youth choir kind of a kid. You know, if the doors were open, I was there. But um, there there was this period of time where it just kind of turned into a slow fade. That's really the best way I know to describe it is it was a slow fade. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with love languages, but mine is affirmation. Um, that really speaks to my heart when, um, you know, just the, the language of affirmation. And I found myself craving affirmation. Um, in and of itself, that might not be a bad thing. But when you have to be different things to different people in order to get affirmation, what you find, Jason, is that... The time will come where you will stop and you won't know who you are. Hmm. You've been so many different things to so many different people with the best of intentions that you aren't really sure what it is you're made up of. And I found myself in that place uh, probably in the mid-90s feeling very alone. Um, and I wasn't sure how to address the feeling Um other than to drink. I knew how to make it go away. And that's what I did for a number of years. And uh, was I was functional um, on the outside, but certainly on the inside, I was very hollow. As, as a successful addict, I guess. Ab- absolutely. Called a functioning alcoholic. I had a full-time job. Um, I got married. Um, this was something that there was uh, a good bit of shame that was involved in it. And uh, so uh, it wasn't something that I was open about at the time, kind of a closet functioning alcoholic and uh, was married uh, to a a wonderful woman. We celebrate 21 years of marriage next month, uh, which is awesome. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. Thank you. We'd, We'd had our first son over the course of this time as well. And um, just got to a point where it gotten out of control, but I didn't know how to fix it, and I was scared to even try. And so um, I'll kind of fast forward through a number of different events, but um, just recognize that uh, I had never really been true to myself. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know who it was that I truly was, what it was that I was meant to do or who it was I was meant to be. And so finally one day I was confronted, thank goodness, by my wife and um, and I just broke. I couldn't hide it anymore. It was uh, time for me to stop carrying around uh, this, uh, this shame and this guilt and this weight. And uh, I have to say that um, I, I've never felt as free as I did that day. I can remember my, you know, my mother-in-law sitting outside under this big old pecan tree that's in her yard and praying with me. And uh, it was like at that point, I wasn't exactly sure what God's plan was for my life, but I knew I didn't have to carry around the stuff that I'd been carrying around for so long. And you weren't a chameleon hiding this, this this big monster. Absolutely. Because that's, that is, uh, the the track that I'd taken, um, I had to show that everything was okay on the outside um, because I didn't know how to deal with things on the inside. And I would imagine 
that that story will probably resonate with some of your listeners. Uh, yeah. They they feel that everything has to be perfect on the outside. And man, doesn't social media push that agenda as well. We yeah. could do a second and third um, episode of this podcast just going into social media, but yeah. there's so much pressure nowadays on just that perfect outer shell while there's so many people that are hurting on the inside. Yeah, so I mean, people. none of us are Jesus. No. And we will never be. No. <laughs> we, we can strive, but we will never be perfect. And so trying to achieve that, uh, or, or if we set that standard, it's just never going to be met. That's right. Um, so it's crazy. And so how, for you, how did faith in God, and you know, you, you grew up in church, but you know, when you kind of come to this re- realization, or you, it's at least you're confronted, mm-hmm. um, and you put all your cards on the table how did um your your you know christianity and your relationship with jesus how did that impact your you know kind of uh, you know not being addicted to alcohol anymore well i i think that there was this acceptance that i'm not perfect and that um all of these broken pieces that i'd been uh, holding on to and trying to to carry around for so long, unbeknownst to everybody else, um, that it wasn't my responsibility to put those all back together again. Um, that's that's what God does best, you know. He takes what we offer and He puts it back together again. And so oftentimes we feel that. We have to get things right. We have to get things lined up and in order so we will be pleasing. So whatever it is that we offer, God will be uh, appealing to him. And God, he sees through all of our broken pieces and, and, and ultimately focuses on what it is that he wants us to be that wholeness that he's called us to be and and so that's what God did for me um it was no longer me trying to do the impossible but surrendering um you know the the serenity prayer uh carries a very special place in my heart you know grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change Mm -hmm. the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference and so I change the things I can I pray for wisdom and then I I leave the rest up to God to manage the things that I certainly can't control yeah amen to that so uh and and you know I'm I'm sure in your practice and in your history you know uh, of of working in counseling and therapy and helping people I know your passion is is uh, really helping those that are hurting. I love it. And, you know, it's, um, it, it seems to be growing these days, obviously, as, you know, through this pandemic and all this isolation people have kind of been forced into. And so, you know, we hear words being thrown about you know, anxiety and, and depression, those kind of things that we hear a lot about. And, you know, people want to like avoid those things. But is, is that the point uh, is to, because I, I, you, you hear often that like, hey, we all are anxious. We all have anxiety, mm-hmm. but it can become extreme. So, you know, uh, what would you say to folks about how to deal with, with those things? Because does one kind of leap onto the other? Does it just grow and grow and get worse? Because, you know, the, the worst case scenario is that it's suicide and then mm-hmm. those rates are going up. So what have you seen in, in your practice and your time and how to really tackle that stuff? Yeah, I mean, things like depression and anxiety – uh, there, there are some normalized elements to each of them. You know, there's, 
there's sadness and there's depression. Um, sadness is a, a typical uh, expected emotion that we can all go through. Certainly sadness that uh, is unprocessed or unacknowledged uh, or maybe can grow into what could be a longer-term, more impactful condition such as depression. The same with anxiety. You know, worry and anxiety are very different things. We all have worries from time to time. Actually, you know, anxiety is basically our body's defense mechanism Mm -hmm. that helps uh, in certain situations, helps us to be focused, helps us to be alert. It's uh, uh, an element of our self-protection system. But there are times when that alarm is triggered too easily or we place uh, greater levels of impact or, uh, or I should say, define things as being bigger problems than they are, right? We make um, a Goliath, uh, you know, a mountain out of a molehill, a Goliath out of a David. That's probably a sure. bad analogy. But, um, and that's when anxiety can really start to creep in and people feel when they get to this place of depression and anxiety and they can't manage it, maybe that they're broken. Uh, I know that... Which we all are, really. Which we all are. (laughs) And society, uh, and I'll say this, that we're making strides. I I see that there's, there's starting to be more and more conversations about mental health and that it's okay to not be okay. But for so long, there are people that are broken just like we all are, but felt like they were also alone. They were also isolated, Mm -hmm. that uh, there was something that was wrong with them. And so conversations that needed to happen weren't happening. So you had these conditions that may have started off as mild, right? As day-to-day accepted feelings or conditions that just grow into something that could have been prevented, things that were avoidable. And We've gotten to the point now where even pre-pandemic, we can't we can't ignore it anymore. Yeah, you have one in five kids that over the next twelve months are going to be impacted by a moderate to severe um, mood disorder. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're going to deal with mental health related symptoms. That was pre-pandemic. Yeah. Now that we're looking at post-pandemic, you already had twenty percent of kids that were going to experience those significant symptoms add pandemic outcomes on top of that. I think I've seen uh, research that suggested uh, upwards of two to three in five kids are going to experience a moderate to severe mental health condition over this upcoming school year. And those are numbers that we simply can't ignore. Yeah, possibly half. And, and sometimes whether you're, you know, uh, you know, middle schooler, high schooler, college or, or an adult, you know, we talk about people like uh, self-medicate and, mm-hmm. and like alcohol or drugs, that kind of thing. And sometimes, you know, you have to have a family member, like a wife or something like that, that comes to you and says, you know, this is the end of the line, you know, that kind of gives you an ultimatum perhaps or something like that. Um, You know, in terms of the next step, you know, whether it be, you know, addiction or anxiety, depression, uh, mood disorder, any of those things, you know, how do you know, I mean, okay, when and how do you know, whereas counseling maybe could be a part of the solution because a lot of people, you know, there's, there's a stigma on mental health. There's also mm-hmm. can be a stigma on counseling. Like, Hey, you know, I'm admitting that I'm not strong enough and I need somebody, I need to talk to somebody else. 
Um, whereas, you know, a lot of people that, that don't want to take that step um, and maybe never do. Mm-hmm. Well, we're, we're all storytellers, Jason. And what I mean by that is we all tell ourselves stories in our head. We all have this element of self-talk that can convince us of a lot of things that simply are inaccurate. And when I hear people say uh, things like, um, you know, they, they aren't strong enough or they, they don't feel like uh, that, you know, they can go to counseling or that something's wrong, people don't go to counseling just because something's wrong. Um, unfortunately, there is an event that goes wrong that triggers people seeking out counseling. But our mental and emotional health is just as important as our physical health. And uh, most of the time, we don't wait until we are significantly ill to go to the doctor. Um, I, I know that guys might have a tendency to do that. I'm guilty of that, right? <laughs> but um, but I just went and had an annual physical here over the past year because there are preventative things that we can do and that we're almost foolish not to do. Well, our mental and emotional health is the same. People don't go to a counselor just because they're sick or just because they're ill. Uh, There are things that people might need to process out. There are uh, things where maybe a different perspective is needed. Sometimes people just want to look at how they can become healthier in their outlook, in their goal setting. There are a number of things that counselors do um, other than, um, you know, treat uh, significant mental illness or, um, you know, recommend or refer for medication. It's, It's so much more than that. But people see or have attached this idea that they, that if they go to counseling, they're not weak. Or, or they are weak, excuse me. If they go to counseling, they're not strong or that something's wrong. And I'm here to say that some of the strongest people I've ever met were the people that were willing to say something isn't right. I'm not feeling right. My thoughts aren't right. And I want to do something about this. That takes a lot of strength. And what I've seen in working with individuals and couples and whether it be uh, individual adults or individual kids is that there's this exhale when they realize that, well, so I can talk about this. I don't have to carry this unbeknownst to everyone else. I don't have to carry this on my own. Yes, maybe something from their past could be a, a hurt related to their parents or something they've ne- de- ne- not dealt with for decades. It could be a number of things, yeah, yeah. but you know, uh, they're, there are so many things that um, can be traced back to guilt, uh, to unforgiveness, to uh, certainly there are traumas and things like uh, the, the tragedy in Miami. Uh, the pandemic created so much trauma for people, um, even school shooters, right? Those are traumatic events uh, that can trigger things for years and years to come. But there's help available, And a lot of those triggers, it's not a matter of not having the triggers. We can't control that. It's a matter of how are we going to respond when we're triggered. That's the key. 
and you see, you know, portrayed in movies and TV, maybe you cringe, you know, you see people kind of laying down on the couch mm-hmm. and uh, the kind of the back and forth and all that kind of stuff. Is that uh, typically what people can expect or is it just different from counselor to counselor? I know you want to make it kind of a, a conversation, you know, and make them feel comfortable. Similar to what <laughs> similar to what we're doing right now, it's yeah. the topic is different. I, I mean, um you want to establish rapport. I think that uh, so, full, so I need to pay you for this that, session. That's, well, you'll you'll uh, you'll get something in the mail from me, Jason. But uh, I think back in the days of Freud, you know, that's where this image of uh, let, let me, you know, the person lays back and he they're semi hypnotized and he's really searching their subconscious and digging through their sure. id and their ego. And but no, counseling is a conversation. It's it's um, two individuals that are establishing rapport, that are creating a safe environment where conversations can happen. And I can say that it's so often where, because remember, we're all storytellers, where the story that we tell ourselves can somehow get skewed. It's based solely off of our perspective or our interpretation of perspectives that have been communicated to us by others. But we can become almost this echo chamber in our head where we can't see another angle. We can't see uh, another perspective of a problem that we're dealing with. And sometimes it just takes someone asking the right question maybe that we're not asking or just looking at something in a different way. I don't give people solutions I ask questions more than anything else, and I find that as people start answering the right question, they don't need to look at me for what it is they need to do or not do. They know. Yeah, you're empowering them to absolutely because they're the ones that have to make the decision to change, and and uh, I mean that, that's they're going to be the ones going through. This is not your journey. This is you're just kind of coming kind of alongside them, right? Absolutely. You know. Uh, Counseling is one of those rare professions where if I'm doing my job, uh, I am negatively impacting my job security because I don't want people to depend on me. Yeah, uh, I, I want to empower people. I want to teach them to metaphorically fish yeah. rather than just giving them an answer to their question without context. And then they don't know what to do with that. Yeah. Now, um, you know, you're married and have two sons. Mm -hmm. And so um, being, you know, I I know with my wife and kids, being married to a TV news anchor is kind of a, it has its own little baggage that goes with it. You're a celebrity. (laughs) Listen, you're a celebrity. (laughs) But being married to a counselor, I mean, does that, does that put extra pressure on them, Ron? You, like, do you feel like that you guys are having counseling sessions when you and your wife are talking and when you and your boys are talking? Or is it like totally separate and and, uh, you, you know, do your best as a husband and father well uh, that it, that probably depends on what you would ask or who you would ask I would say that uh, my wife probably sees me go into counseling mode some and, and my boys probably do as well and I would imagine that as soon as I enter counseling mode that they shut me out oh so they know they can see they, it. I'm sure they can I, I'm, I'm sure the hat isn't invisible that I put on but this is what's interesting Jason is that I can't effectively counsel my wife and kids 
uh, even though I might default into that mindset, I can't do it. And the reason that I can't do it is because I'm emotionally attached right. to those people. I have relationships with them that makes it uh, impossible for me to um, kind of maintain an emotionally neutral place. And that's an important thing that has to be present in the the counselor-client relationship. And that's what allows my perspective to not only be different, but not to be emotionally driven is because I'm not emotionally invested in those relationships like I am with my wife and my kids. And But it's important to know that, that your role is mom or dad that's or right. husband or wife. That's that's your sole role. Your role is not to try to drive, you know, your your spouse or your kids to do something in particular or make them, you know, do this or that or to fix this. I mean, your job is just to to be loving to them. That's right. And <laughs> the the interesting thing about it and this is what is so important for the parents out there that may be listening or even uh, the teachers. I, I do a lot of uh, training of school personnel, uh, teachers and administrators, and they don't have to have degrees. They aren't counselors. That's not their trade. That's not their passion. That's not their calling. But what I do with my boys is the same thing that I try and get them to do with their students. It's be available. It's listen. It's not to counsel right? It's not the counsel. My job is not to clinically counsel my family, just like a teacher's job isn't to counsel her students. Um, it's not their responsibility. That said, there is a really, really big opportunity that I have to model in front of my kids and be there and be available and show some of uh, my, I, I don't know, human elements, um, the same way it is for parents and teachers to just be there, just listen, be engaged, ask the questions, right? If you see a kid struggling, you don't have to diagnose him. Just ask the question and then listen. That's what kids are looking for nowadays. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, and we were talking about, you know, um, marriages as well. You know, uh, you've you've counseled, obviously, a lot of individuals, young mm-hmm. and, and older and, and couples as well. What do you find, you know, uh, you hear a lot that uh, the, the, the most fights that happen in marriages are uh, about finances mm-hmm. or about kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that's still the case, but you know, what do you find in terms of your know, marriages and, 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 and your research and things and, and your experiences as a therapist? Uh, what are some of the biggest issues facing marriages these days? Maybe it's different than it was a decade ago. I, I think communication is big and, um, by communication, a lot of people automatically think that's how I communicate. But there's expressive communication and there's receptive communication. And I, I like to look at receptive communication being what's in the forefront. Um, you know, Stephen Covey in his Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I don't know if we'll get some kind of a royalty for that plug there. <laughs> um, ching, ching. Yeah, but uh, I, I think it's uh, habit number five. He says, seek first to understand and then to be understood. Hmm. And so across all relationships, we we so frequently are pushed to be understood. Everybody wants to be understood. No one likes to be misunderstood. Hmm. And so our expressive communication is always out in front. 
And even when we stop to listen, we aren't listening to understand. We're listening to reply, Mm -hmm. which isn't really comprehending what it is that's being communicated to us. And so I think a lot of the stress and strain I see in marriages is because there's a breakdown in communication, much like the oxygen mask analogy. When I'm working with, um, with a husband and a wife, I tell them that your marriage is what gets the oxygen mask first. They can oftentimes look at, you know, their kids and, um, man, uh, you know, other than, you know, the Brady Bunch, I don't think their kids ever had any problems, right? But my, my household, right, my kids, uh, they, my kids have struggles. And yeah. um, I, I think that every parent can relate to that. But marriages get forsaken. And, and that can really be a problem when you have two people that are trying to kind of arm in arm be locked in and, and wanting to be what it is they need to be. Uh, and if they aren't prioritizing their marriage, if communication is faltering, then what that does is it makes it much harder to problem solve around finances. Mm-hmm. It makes it much harder to problem solve around kids. So those two things absolutely have negative impact on marriages. But I think the root cause really is a lack of understanding and ineffective communication. And I'm not sure if this simplifies it too much, but I I think this comes from the Love Languages book you were talking about, the Love Languages, or or some book that I've read um, where there's this cycle where uh, women want to be loved, Mm -hmm. men want to be respected, Mm -hmm. and if one doesn't get the, then they won't give the other one that. So it's like this back and forth, this vicious circular cycle. So, um, you know, I guess it's just kind of who's going to blink first and who's going to swallow their pride and put the other person first. I Because that's really the goal here is to you put your spouse, you put other people in front of you, which is not an easy thing to do necessarily. Mm-hmm. It, it It's not because... Uh you know, our our society can be somewhat selfish, right? Which is the opposite of what Jesus modeled. But when we're keeping score, yeah, when sure, when when it's transactional, right? When our when our service in our marriage becomes transactional, we're really heading in a bad direction. Because and you're keeping track of like, okay, you did this to me two years ago. You know? Or it's, well, <laughs> hey, I did these three things for you. You've only done two for me. Ooh. So you're in the whole one. And exactly. now that person that is lording that over their spouse, they feel that they're owed. Right. How disingenuous is that when you look at that being... Uh, present in a marriage that you're not serving to uplift and to support and to strengthen. You're serving to receive, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember in the Bible Jesus washing the disciples' feet and then saying, "Okay, your turn. Yeah, exactly. Hop down here, right?" Yeah. <laughs> um, and but a lot of the times we can fall into these transactional uh, relationships, and and that can can really become problematic because the bar is constantly raised and we're constantly comparing what we're doing versus what we're receiving. Yeah. And it's not a bank account. Yeah. 
And is this something, you know, that, that you were talking about students as well? And, and like both of us have, have two kids. And so, you know, is this something that, I mean, kids can understand too in terms of mental health? Because you deal with a lot of like, you know, the fact that they're, like you said, it's a good thing that there there is a growing sense of the need for mental health mm-hmm. help uh, at the school level. And as we kind of come back most likely in person for this next school year, it's going to be, you know, uh, just, uh, you know, it's going to be different mm-hmm. because we, we did a lot of Zoom classroom stuff, you know, last year. So, you know, what would you, for parents and teachers, I mean, how do they deal with this? You talked a little bit about that before, about how teachers, you're not the counselor and parents, you're not the counselor. But, I mean, is this something where uh, it's going to be an explosion, These the kids that have been isolated for so long? Well, I, I think that um, there, there are some kids that have gotten accustomed to the isolation and technology can allow us to feel that we are connected in so many ways when we're really not. There, there's nothing that replaces in-person connection, um, but there are so many things out there that can mimic, right? There, uh, Instagram, that, TikTok, you know, so many things. <laughs> I mean, technology is fantastic. You know, you can you can connect with somebody that's halfway around the world, but you know, you can do it from such an isolated position. Mm-hmm. And those those connections certainly aren't genuine. It's almost like there's this false sense of security that's there. And I think that people have gotten comfortable with that. As kids go back to school, I do think that there are going to be some challenges. I, I, I do. Um, I think that schools are, from what I'm seeing and hearing, they're doing a good job in at least preparing. They know it's going to be different. They don't know the degree, but they are allocating some resources to make sure that there are not only additional counselors that might be on staff, but that they are utilizing some federal funding that's coming down as well that's being allocated for student services, not just to help kids catch up academically, but also to um, focus on uh, mental health needs that may be present in the student population as well. Yeah. Is this something where, you know, you, you with the society these days and, uh, you know, how important is it to have churches, you know, be a part of this solution as well? And whether it be, you know, uh, for these, you know, youth, uh, the middle schoolers and high schoolers and for adults as well, because, you know, church, we, it was the same thing as school where we, you know, we didn't have in-person church for months and months. Some, t- some people haven't been, haven't been to church in a year and a half. Um, so is, is, does the church play a role here as well? And, and alongside counselors, teachers, parents to kind of, we, we, they need to be a part of, of, you know, um, helping people kind of, uh, you know, trug through these, these challenges we're dealing with? I, I think that the church is always going to play a part when the time comes that the, the church is not playing a part I'm hoping that I'm caught up in the sky and uh, and and Jesus I, come now. That's right. That because I, I think the church always plays a part, but the church is having to learn and adapt. I, I think just like the schools are, uh, the church is trying to find how they can best minister to a society that over 18 months has become leery. That's been driven by fear that has received 
um, I, I don't I don't want to to even dip my toe into the political, but there have been a bunch of different messages, and I think people are just really looking for truth, no matter where on what side of the aisle you sit. It's divisive, regardless. It's, it, it is divisive, and and I think that that the church just sees people that um, are are lonely, are scared, and are hurting, and the church wants to provide for them. The church wants them to know that they're not alone in their brokenness. I, I think the church, uh, I, I can't speak for every pastor, but I would imagine that pastors want their churches open. They they want uh, people to feel that they can come and uh, that they can congregate and be safe. Um, the The church was built on this type of community, these types of connections. And I do feel like it's important that we figure out a way to get back there. Um, Online church is great, but I do not believe that online church takes the place of meeting in person. I I believe that there is a a, a, a power and there is a, um, there's an outcome there that's special. It's it's special. There are connections there that are unique and can't be replicated through um, even the best of technologies. Worshiping with people and being face to face and having having community because that's that's really what church you hope turns into. It's it's where people broken people are kind of uh, talking and you know where you realize that hey. There's somebody over here dealing with exactly what I dealt with years ago, or um, you know maybe I'm going to be dealing with this down the road, lose my job, or uh, there's a divorce, or there's something else that happens, and so those kind of things, you know, all happen in a church as well. That's right, and <laughs> and all of those things are questions that anyone and everyone could struggle with. The the thing about we talked about depression and anxiety earlier. The thing about depression is it resides in the past right? The thing about anxiety is it resides in the future. A lot of what drives depression is thinking about or looking at our inability to change what happened before. The thing that drives anxiety and a lot of the impacts is us thinking about how we can change something that hasn't even happened yet. Um, There's value in the present, right? And so not just being present with our own selves and our emotions and our feelings, but also being present with other people, I think there's there's an important element to that. What would you say, you know, whether you're a friend or a spouse or a parent or a coworker, um, you know, what kind of questions or what kind of things do you need to look for in terms of red flags to say, you know, um, because, you know, sometimes people just don't talk about that stuff and it, the anxiety, depression or whatever else, and it's just kind of hidden or they, they, you know, gloss over and then all of a sudden, boom, something happens and you're, it's, people are shocked. So how, how do you, how do you prevent it? I guess. Yeah. Well, I, I think there are some, there are some general things that you can look for, um, you know, significant changes in mood, uh, eating habits or sleeping habits, um, people that, uh, just begin engaging in very reckless activities, um, things that they're communicating uh, to other people or maybe uh, actions that they might uh, be engaging in that could be dangerous or that could have some element of self-harm to them. Uh, Extreme uh, 
I think changes in eating, I think I might have mentioned that one, um, significant weight loss or weight gain, um, big mood swings is one. Uh, and I, I know that having, having kids, sometimes people might be like, well, um, you know, my, I think all of my kids are, are going through some kind of a, uh, you know, a, a mental health, uh, issue based on the mood swings, but I mean mood swings that are out of character sure. and mood swings that involve them being unresponsive. I, I think that you know, as as parents, sometimes uh, you know, certainly we need to reach out. We we need to uh, to maybe have uh, you know someone. Uh, with uh, a background or, or, you know, that's licensed in this area, um, provide some support to our kids. But a lot of the times it's just about checking in with them. It's about um, initiating the conversation. Uh, it, it might not be productive from the parent's standpoint, but every time you check in with your kid, every time you initiate a conversation with your kid, they might be as overwhelmed as they were when you asked the initial question or did the initial check-in. But you're communicating that you're there and you're communicating that you care. And those are two very important things. Um, but if if you're, as a parent, as a teacher, if you're noticing any dramatic changes in behavior, any risky elements, uh, based on uh, things that they're engaging in or comments that they're making, uh, any changes in appearance or uh, even things that they found joy in or that they found, uh, you know, some some level of contentment in. If they are just all of a sudden uninvolved, those are things to me that would certainly be flags. Yeah. And we talk also on this podcast about fitness. And, you know, for me, you know, um, running is part of my therapy. I, I, you know, go out there and and it's kind of a good way to release the endorphins and, or stress or whatever else. Um, but you know, do you recommend that recreation, whether it be by yourself or with other people, what could be fishing or hunting or running or gym does that kind of thing does that impact mental health in a a positive way as well it does Um, exercise is a found a fantastic um, stress reliever it's a fantastic one so um, you know whatever the reason is that people run I know that there are uh, there are chemicals that the brain releases that are are anti-stress and it allows them just to burn off some of that energy those are great um feeling that uh, somebody sees them or understands them just somebody that's there to listen is is a great uh, coping element for people that maybe are feeling a bit overwhelmed Uh, different people have different activities that they enjoy and so what I would encourage them to do is make sure that uh, they engage in those consistently but also in moderation I've seen people that find something that's a good stress reliever, right? They enjoy playing golf. And so they start playing 18 holes a day. And like a balloon, you squeeze one end of it and you start to create problems in other areas of your life. And and so certainly you want to do things consistently. You want to do things intentionally that allow you to exhale, that provide you some, some joy, but not at the expense of 
other areas of your life. Yeah, and and sometimes you can f- have that fellowship, whether it maybe you're golfing or fishing mm-hmm. with some uh, some guys, and because sometimes you know us men, we don't sometimes open up about That's feelings right. with each other, and so maybe you know when you go on a run with somebody or, or uh, you know a round of golf or going fishing, that can be an opportunity to like just you know talk to each other maybe like you normally wouldn't right absolutely and i know that um you know there are there are different relationships that that guys develop women do this so much better than men yes um and again that's probably another podcast jason (laughs) i'm afraid to even poke that bear but um women women do this better than men do uh but there are there are ways that that men can kind of connect with one another. They can, you know, feel like maybe they're not getting into all of the feels of what it is that might be overwhelming them. But if they feel like other people maybe understand what it is that they're going through, um, putting yourself in situations where those conversations and those interactions can occur organically, very naturally, is always a good thing. And like you said, I've had a lot of conversations in a John boat or, you know, walking out of the woods uh, after a day of hunting that have just been good for my soul and that uh, helped me know that, um, you know, my my friend or my hunting partner or my fishing buddy, that, you know, he's going through some things too and uh, and neither one of us are alone in it. Yeah, that's, that's well said. So I appreciate you joining us, John. Thank you so much. You had some great insight. You're an expert on these things. I'm just a, I'm, I'm a novice TV news anchor here and podcast host. So uh, I do usually close the podcast with a prayer. So I want to kind of uh, pass that fishing pole on to you, if you don't mind uh, closing us in prayer today. Absolutely. God, I thank you so much uh, just for the opportunity to come and Uh, and speak, to speak about families, to speak about uh, mental health, to speak about uh, your goodness and the fact that no matter what it is that we face, we are not alone. You are with us and you love us and you see us. You see us in our pain. You see us uh, in our victory. Uh, you, You see us, you made us, and you know us. And God, I ask that if there's anyone that's out there struggling right now, that they would not only feel your presence, but that they would know that they are not alone, that the plans that you have for them are good, to prosper them and not to harm them, that you have a future carved out for them that involves hope. And so I ask that uh, that they would feel and have uh, just your presence with them, that Uh, You would give them the boldness and the courage uh, to reach out if they're in need of help and that they would understand that it's, it's okay not to be okay. It's not okay to continue forward when hope and help is available. And we just give you thanks, ask that uh, you would take us from here tonight and that uh, you would bless not only us, but all those that are listening in. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. And I hope, so after listening to all this, hopefully people are ready to, to grab their rock That's and, right. uh, and, and put it in their hand and then throw it at whatever 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 giant. Whatever exactly. giants yes. in their life. Yes. And especially, I think, you know, I think God is, is that for us to, I mean, he, we, we have him with us. We don't, I mean, he's our rock, right? So, That's right. So there you go. So thanks very much, John. Appreciate it. Great being here.
And, you know, it's so important to talk about the stuff that, that John and I had the chance to talk about. I'm glad he lended his expertise since I'm, I'm definitely just a novice when it comes to these issues. But we all learn through our experiences. And he, he, he told me afterwards that it's around age 14 when the symptoms of mental or health issues or mood disorders, uh, you know, come up for, for people on average, age 14. But on average, a person does not seek help or going to professional counseling or whatever else could be medication until age 24. So there's that decade long gap. And unfortunately, there's going to be tragedy or suicide in between that gap uh, before you get help. Um, so definitely, uh, you know, find a way there. There's help out there. Uh, whether you're a church or a counselor or friends, uh, don't don't uh, definitely you know lean on other people, and uh, because we can all use the help. Now turning to our final segments of the podcast, we have a, a parting gift from one of my favorite pastors. I've been listening to his sermons lately, and also uh, a little song for you from uh, Yours Truly. A quick little bit. I gave you a clue earlier, and uh, this is from the song Shoulders uh, from For King and Country. Here's a little bit of uh, the, my rendition of Shoulders. When confusion's my companion and despair holds me for ransom, I will feel no fear. I know that you are near. My help comes from you. You're right here pulling me through. You carry my weakness, my sickness, my brokenness all on your shoulders, your shoulders. So that was a little deeper register than uh, for King and Country, but uh, you, you get the idea. Uh, such a great song. Um, you know, it talked to, you know, in the monologue that, you know, I, he looks up to the mountains, but his strength uh, comes from God. And I looked up kind of some of the background. This is actually one of the last songs on for King and Country's album, Run Wild, Live Free, Love Strong. And one of the brothers uh, that's part of this group uh, is back in 2013, Luke Smallbone had a life-threatening attack of ulcer, ulcer and, and colitis. And he said these lyrics meant a lot to him. He said, quote, after everything I've gone through with the battle of my sickness, when you're at your wits end and things aren't going the way you want them to, you have to ask yourself, where does my help come from? I'm going to declare that my help comes from you, God. So, you know, sometimes we look to, to ourselves, we look to other people, we you know, look to a way to solve this problem, but, but we don't have the strength. God has the strength. When we are weak, He is strong. Now to our parting gift for this episode, uh, kind of with the theme of, of counseling and help and worry and anxiety. Um, you know, from a recent um, podcast slash sermon I heard um, from Pastor Mark Driscoll, who's out west in Arizona, he said, in the middle of tough times or suffering, you can either worry or worship. That's your choice. Um, a lot of times we do worry because that's just kind of a natural inclination as humans, as people. But, uh, you know, we can worship God and say, God, in the midst of this chaos, whatever I'm dealing with, that uh, I'm giving this to you, giving this fully to you. doesn't mean that you stop moving or doing what you're doing, 
Um, but uh, in the midst of you trying to kind of go through life and move forward and help others move forward, um, you know, you give it to God and let him help you and partner with you moving forward and, and pull you uh, to where you need to go um, according to his will. So that's our parting gift. And uh, again, thank you so much for joining us for the Run the Race podcast. Our, my friend John Ebert did the closing prayer for us. And uh, if you missed the last episode, we had a mom of six on uh, talking about how she just ran her 200th marathon. Speaking of fitness, she, it's really impressive. And she talks about, you know, her faith in God, how that's important in her life and, and how, you know, she was at the Boston Marathon when the bombing happened and uh, just, you know, why she runs so much, right, as this mom of six. Uh, you know, so it's, it's, it's really impressive. Hopefully you get a chance to listen to that. And uh, future episodes coming up as well with lots of uh, fascinating guests talking about faith and fitness. Until next time, God bless everyone.